Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which, he, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God, And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, and interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel." whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretation and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, 
Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and knows all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Mini, mini, tekel, euphrasin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mini, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, many of us have probably even used the phrase or at least heard the phrase, the writing or the handwriting is on the wall. And when you say something like that, you mean that there's clear signs that a situation is going to become very difficult or unpleasant, that someone or something is going to fail. Maybe you were working for a company, and this company was filled with corruption. There was bad business practices happening. The word was getting out. And you might say, I had to leave this company because the writing was on the wall. It was going to fail. Well, as we turn from Daniel chapter 4 to Daniel chapter 5, you might be in shock to think of the writing is on the wall. At the end of Daniel chapter 4, we heard of God's glorious salvation of King Nebuchadnezzar. And certainly, now indeed, 
as he gives the command that they should all serve and worship and honor the God of heaven, certainly things will change in Babylon. But we read at the very beginning of Daniel chapter 5 that Belshazzar the king made a great feast with a thousand of his lords and 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 and, and we have have this shock is we're right in scripture but we also need to remember that this is many years after the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar at the end of Daniel chapter 4 from the time of Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar here in our text it's at least 25 years has gone by Nebuchadnezzar had died in 562 BC uh, after a 45-year reign of his own and it sent the kingdom into turmoil. There were at least uh, four kings in between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and, and, and brothers were killing brothers and even, even, even young nephews to, to gain the, the throne and and after a period of time of conflict, Nabonidus, he becomes king of Babylon. And it's his son here who is Belshazzar. Now, Nabonidus, he himself was a son of Nebuchadnezzar. And Belshazzar would technically be the grandson of, Bel- of Nebuchadnezzar. And what we recognize is that Nabonidus was devoted to a different god than the gods of the Babylonians. He was devoted to the moon god named Sin. And the Babylonian clergy, who were bell worshippers and worshippers of Marduk, would, were, were not in favor of, of this king's new religious choice. And so, therefore, he often spent much time, or maybe even uh, many years, about 500 kilometers away in in a desert oasis, worshiping his god. And Belshazzar then becomes really the de facto king, a more pro-Marduk king. And so uh, to keep the clergy and the astrologers and all the Chaldeans from, from revolt. And so Belshazzar actually means Bel protect the king. This was a very pagan king who did not take to heart the conversion of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And even though the passage does talk about Nebuchadnezzar being the father of Belshazzar, that was simply a, a, Hebrewic, a Hebraic uh, custom to talk about even your father, your grandfather, or even further back as your father and you would be his son. But overall, what's happening here in this period of time from Daniel 4 to Daniel 5 you have the demise of the kingdom of Babylon. And it, you can picture it as much like this. One, one family builds up a business and the next generation lives in luxury off it and, and it begins to decline and the next generation runs it into the ground. And maybe of these situations you have said in the past already, the writing is on the wall. This business, this company is going down the tubes. One generation built it, the next generation lives off it, the next generation runs it into the ground. And, and it does happen more often than what you think. But so it also happens in the kingdoms of men. And here what we find here in, in this 
significant jump in history in, in Scripture here from Daniel 4 to Daniel 5 is that, that it goes from the end of Nebuchadnezzar's rule to the very night that the last Babylonian ruler dies. And the literary, literary significance of this is, is that here we find that royal celebration, this, this night where Belshazzar is filled with himself and his own glory and the glory of the kingdom of Babylon, his very soul will be required of him and Babylon will drop through the trap door of history. And the parallel can come also when we look at Daniel 2 and Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. We find in each one of these chapters that there's either a disturbing dream or a disturbing a message. Here it's a message that's being written on the wall. And there needs to be revelation given in order to interpret this message. But in all of these things, from Daniel chapter 1 through Daniel chapter 5, it is, it is building to showing how unstable Babylon is. In, in chapter 2, we learn that that. Babylon is only going to be a passing phase in in all of world history. In chapter 3, we read about how God has overridden the decree of the king before his very own eyes as as he cast them into the burning, fiery furnace and they they live and survive. In chapter 4, we see Nebuchadnezzar being driven from his throne to eat grass like an oxen in the pasture. And here, at the, at, as we come to chapter 5, Babylon's end has come. However, I must admit this chapter also has great encouragement for Israel, for the church today, and should motivate us to faithfulness. And so therefore, I can't bring this all together in one sermon, but I want I want to look at this morning is that the writing is on the wall for Belshazzar in the Babylonian kingdom. But this afternoon, I want to focus more on how Daniel himself is preserved through this dark and difficult time as God's faithful witness. And so this morning, I want to look at it from the, from the th- with the theme, the writing is on the wall. And we'll see that in two thoughts. God crashes an immoral party. And secondly, God gives his sobering judgment. The writing is on the wall. God crashes an immoral party and God's sobering judgment. In verse 1 we read, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. God is going to crash this party, this great feast that Belshazzar has made. And this was a great feast. This This was a great a great king. Belshazzar, maybe the richest man on earth, the most popular man, in one of the most secure and richest, the most luxurious cities. We heard last, uh, last week about the massive walls of Babylon, the great protection of the river that surrounded most of Babylon, the beauty of the hanging gardens of Babylon. This was an impressive city that was a secure fortress for Belshazzar. And here in all of his 
so-called security hosts this great, huge party and invites a thousand of his lords to come to it. Now this party, in and of itself, wouldn't be all that terrible. But this was a great, a, a very immoral party. This was a party that was filled with indulgence, first of all, and intoxication. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousands. While he tasted the wine, we go on and read. So this party was, was marked by, really, the indulgence of entertainment and intoxication. In, the, in these four, first four verses, we read in each one of these verses that they drank wine. This was centered on drunkenness. There was nothing done here in moderation. There was nothing done to promote sobriety. They drank and they drank and they drank and they drank. They were gluttons, belly worshippers. It's no wonder in Daniel chapter 1 that Daniel didn't want to partake of all of the king's indulgences and, and, and all of this immor- immorality of intoxication. They were belly worshippers. As we find in, in Philippians 3, Paul talks about those who are enemies of the cross and he weeps for those enemies of the cross whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame. These, this was the type of party that was promoted here by Belshazzar. They were glorying in their own shame and their own drunkenness. But not only was there indulgence of intoxication, but there was also, secondly, idolatry. In verse 2, we read that Belshazzar, as he tasted the wine, he gave command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, and to bring them so that the kings and his lord, the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And they drank this wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Remember in chapter 1 that in declaring victory over the gods of this world, Nebuchadnezzar would take their idols and take their temple ornaments, and that's what he did also in declaring victory over Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. He would take them back to Babylon, and and he would place them before his gods in the house of Shinar. And there he would show that indeed his gods are victorious. And and Belshazzar is doing something very similar here. In his his drunken estate here, he's, he's... boastful in his own, 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 own person and in his own history and, and also in his gods as his gods are showing that they're declaring victory over Jehovah God of the Israelites, the living God. But not only this idolatry, but, but who does he want to share this all with? His lords, but also his his wives, his concubines, that they might all drink from them. This was, this was also 
inf infidelity. This was, this was something that was promoted in these, in these, these times, especially in the king's courts of, of, of corruption and obscene, rancid, rated X type of activity in these immoral parties of infidelity. And what's happening here is really the cup of the indignation of God is filling up and nearly running over as we find come in this time of history to Daniel chapter 5 at the end of the life of Belshazzar. Very similar to what we read in Revelation chapter 17 where John is carried away in the spirit of the wilderness and saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was the name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And he looks and he sees a woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. The cup, the cup for Belshazzar was filled and overflowing and now the end has come. The indignation of God is coming for their indulgence, idolatry, their infidelity. And they go on in this party with great indifference to the Lord God, the living God of heaven. There was no thought of their souls. There was no thought of eternity. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. There's no thinking about, about the solemn reality of life. The, the wine had clouded their thoughts. But doesn't this also happen so often? Also even, maybe even in our own lives and in our own circles. Maybe we think, well, having a party is not, nothing wrong with that, and certainly there isn't. Enjoying the, the bounty that God has given us, there's nothing wrong with that. But so often don't we find that, that even intoxication today is, is becoming a norm and, and, and even celebrated. I so often hear the saying, but, but we had a designated driver and there's no problem then with, with drinking a little too much because we had a designated driver or you go somewhere and, and someone, someone doesn't want that second or third drink. No, because I, I have to drive home. I have to drive home. It's like, it's like drunkenness is celebrated, but the only reason I wouldn't have another drink is because I have to drive. Or as, as you become intoxicated with that second, third, fourth drink, you begin to boast in yourselves. You boast in your own achievements. And, 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 and it leads to temptations in our life that, that ought not to be there, maybe even with other women and so on. And we live a life indifferent. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let's enjoy today. Oh, dear congregation, I include myself. Consider your ways. Consider your end and be mindful don't be indifferent. Don't let your judgments be clouded with 
the intoxicating drink of this world, the intoxication of our own pride and our own arrogance and our own achievements, but rather let us humble ourselves before God and say, I will not, like Daniel, resolving in our hearts, I will not partake in that kind of life. We are not ignorant of what God is doing. We are not ignorant. Yes, Belshazzar was ignorant of what was going on in the background. He was ignorant of the fact that the Medes and the Persians were diverting his protection of the Euphrates River around that great wall. And they were at this very moment tunneling under that wall to come into the city and ransack the city. Here he is. Eat, drink, and be merry. As the Medes and Persians are about to destroy his secure fortress. We aren't so ignorant, are we, of what God is doing. God has appointed every one of us a time to die and then the judgment. And you don't, and I don't know when that time is. And I ask you and plead with you, even young people, because some of the experiences also in my own life, hear this word today. A God will also crash your immoral parties. I remember when I was 16 years old, I had a pretty good friend and another acquaintance. They were out drinking on a Sunday late afternoon, early evening. And instead of going to church, skipping the evening service, going to another town to go cruising around. They met head-on with another car. And immediately, there were six souls in eternity. And God, we could all name our own examples, but God crashes parties, immoral parties. Oh, what a way to come before God. At Babylon the Great, what would never fall. The Titanic that would never sink and all the parting that was going on in it. And it sinks to the bottom. And I will guarantee, I will guarantee there's no indifferent people when it comes to that point in time. There's no atheist on such deathbeds. They come immediately before God. Although there's a thousand lords invited to Belshazzar's party, he forgot to invite one guest. He forgot to invite the Lord God of heaven and earth. The living God was not invited. And yet this God comes as an uninvited guest and he comes to crash his party. You see, dear congregation, if God is not in His grace an invited guest in your life, then you are inviting God to be your judge. And we hear this sobering judgment from our text today. That's what we see, secondly. God's sobering judgment. 
the writing is on the wall. In verse 5, in that very same hour, thy cup was filled and overflowing and God's indignation is poured out upon, upon Babylon, upon Belshazzar. That very hour, the finger of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand of the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. This was some kind of special revelation. He knew it. He couldn't comprehend it, but he knew that this was something important. His countenance is changed. His thoughts began to trouble him. His hips were loosened so that his knees began to slap together. He was so filled with fear. What does he do? He even cries aloud, bring the wise men, bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. There's nothing new here. Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing. All pagans do the same thing. They call for those who, who might be able to tell them this, this the, the divine meaning behind this divine activity. And so the king's wise men came, but they, they couldn't read the writing. Again, there's nothing new. The, the, their gods were, were empty, were worthless, and, and they couldn't give them the wisdom to, to discern what was happening. And they, and they were astonished at, at how much the king's countenance had changed. Nothing new from chapter 2, chapter 4. We heard the same things. It made such a commotion, though, throughout the kingdom, throughout Babylon, throughout the city, that the queen, whether it was Nebuchadnezzar's wife or Nabonidus' wife, I don't know for sure. Maybe it was a very young wife of Nebuchadnezzar. Could easily be. But yet... She's a queen, and she knew something about Daniel, and, and she hears these words and, and the commotion that's going on, and, and she comes before the king. And, and she tells him, you need to call Daniel, because Daniel, he will give you the interpretation, and we'll look at that more this afternoon. I don't want to spend any more time on that now, but, but Belshazzar takes her word for it and, and brings Daniel before the king. And he says in verse 16, these things to, to Daniel. I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold about your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel answered him and said to the king, you just keep your gifts and let the rewards be given to someone else. But I, as a faithful messenger from God, I will make known to you the, mis the interpretation. And that's what we want to focus on. Because that writing on the wall, its message is this. It's a sobering message that you are weighed and found wanting. And Daniel doesn't just go and read the words right away. He doesn't just go and give the interpretation of those words. But rather, Daniel explains to Belshazzar here that God indeed is just. It reveals that God is just in his judgments, even upon Babylon and Belshazzar here. 
And he gives them the history of Nebuchadnezzar. How Nebuchadnezzar had been given so many gifts from God. God had given him the majesty. God had given him uh, the honor and, and rule in his kingdom that even peoples and nations and language trembled and feared before him. And, and he could do whatever he wished. But when his heart was lifted up, when he was hardened with pride, God dis- deposed him from his throne and made him eat grass like the beast and the wild donkeys and the oxen of the field until he come to know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And he shows how Nebuchadnezzar had to be humbled and brought low. But he says to Belshazzar, he says this in verse 22, but you, his son, have not humbled your heart although you knew all of this. Belshazzar would have known something of this. And yet continued to defy the Lord God. And therefore, he's weighed and found wanting. He's, he's weighed by God. He's, he's measured by God. He's judged by God. And he's found not to be faithful. Great contrast between Belshazzar and Belteshazzar. Daniel. See more of that this afternoon. But certainly, Belshazzar could understand that God was just in his life. And all of us who look at Belshazzar's life here and his intoxication, his drunken parties, his, his idolatry, his infidelity, and his indifference toward the Most High God, You'd say, for sure, we can understand that God can just, justly judge him. But the question is not necessarily this morning about Belshazzar. The question is for you and for me this morning. If the writing was on the wall for you and for me, would Daniel's message be that God is just to judge us the same way he's judged Belshazzar. Only you can answer that. And only I can answer that for myself. When we look at our own hearts and our own lives, if he looked at our culture in North America, whether you look at the U.S. or Canada or or Western countries and were weighed, would we be found wanting I can maybe begin to answer that. When we rise up under the judgments of God and proclaim that we know best and we call for all of the experts to to be able to tell us how we and what's going on in this world, rather than humbling ourselves before God, I'm not saying we don't use the experts. I'm just saying, has there been a humbling under the hand of God? Or do we say, we can take care of a pandemic, we can take care of all kinds of, uh, of other crises all by ourselves? Have we truly humbled ourselves before God? I 
Are we a culture that boasts in our own immorality of, of the sinfulness of our infidelity? Maybe you can answer that question. Especially as laws are set forth, even in this past week, to again continue to allow abortions that would be gender selective, even if the doctor knows about it. I think we can think of countless other examples as well. Are we also weighed and found wanting? What would Daniel's message be to us? Well, the message to Belshazzar was a clearly a message from God. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, from God. This is a message from God in verse 24. And on this inscription was written in verse 25, Mini, Mini, Tekel, Eupharsin. And the interpretation of each word is this. Mini means you are numbered. There's a numbering of your kingdom. You have been found wanting. And so therefore, God has numbered your kingdom and has finished it. Tekel. You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting, found lacking. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar, he gives the command to clothe Daniel. But it really was of no use. For indeed, Belshazzar and the Babylonian kingdom is finished. The Babylonian Empire is brought crashing to the ground. The vision of Daniel chapter 2 anticipated the fall of the Babylonian kingdom as it foreshadowed its history. The, the once mighty kingdom was ultimately blown away by the judgment of God in one hour or picking up on other biblical echoes. This is the new Babel that was being built up to God. as God ended Babel in Genesis 11 in one second by confusing the language. God is in control. And God will bring the kingdoms of this world to an end when the cup is filled with His indignation. We see this throughout history. For Belshazzar and the Babylonian gods are weighed and found wanting. You see, it's not only Belshazzar here that's weighed in the balances and found wanting, but his gods too have failed the test. Belshazzar praised his gods, the gods of wood, the gods of gold and silver. He ascribed to them glory and honor, and yet his gods couldn't do anything to protect him from God crashing his party. They couldn't do anything to protect him from the Medes and the Persians. 
And even as he's mocking and blaspheming the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, what happens as he's drinking out of those temple vessels? God's honor is at stake, and, and this God, this God who was with his servants in, in Babylon, who saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, he comes, he crashes the party. And he weighs Belshazzar in the Babylonian Empire and he finds it wanting. And Bel and Marduk and any of their other gods have no power to stop him. You see, in contrast to Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar didn't live even long enough to find out if God would have mercy on him. He's humbled. He's crushed. There's no call to repentance. It's finished. It's over. It's too late for Belshazzar. Maybe maybe we too need to learn here of the end of the idols of this world, that they're empty, they're, they're powerless. Maybe our hope is in fame and fortune and the promise that the world has to offer us of great rewards. But I tell you, dear congregation, wealth, it also, it also leads to many, many complications in life. It might, it might promise you an easy life, but only to discover that your life is now more complicated than ever. Beauty and power are fleeting, are deceptive. They all come to an end. They don't give us true satisfaction. Even in a Western society, we we've sometimes even idolize our, our freedoms, our, our charter rights, and, and our democracy, and our capitalism, and all of these things. As if these virtues and these good things have power in themselves to transform the whole world even. Because everyone needs to have these things. And although they're also my preferences for a good, functioning, orderly society. All of these things, when abused, are substantially nothing less than the Belshazzar idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone. And we need to remember that. And found wanting. The question is really this. What do you and I trust in? What do you and I live for? Do we live for the weekends? Do we live for the parties? Do we live for the luxury? Do we live for the fame? Do we live for power? What do we live for? Because whatever you live for is also what you will die for and die with. That very night, the judgment of God came upon Belshazzar and the king of the Chaldeans was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Belshazzar's party is exposed as the ultimate folly and the ultimate act of arrogant ignorance. He was feasting on the brink of the grave. He was celebrating on the edge of eternity. And he never even knew it. 
a horrific end for Belshazzar. But that's not the end of the stories in Scripture. We read in Revelation 18 of that fall of Babylon, that great that we read of already in Revelation 17. And we read of that that fall, Babylon the great has fallen, it's fallen. And, 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 and he hears this voice from heaven. John hears this voice. Come out from her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. And he's going to pour out his judgment upon her. And he does. And the kings who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament, and the merchants of this earth will weep and mourn, and the shipmasters will weep and mourn. Babylon shall be thrown down, and it shall not be found anymore if your hope is in this world. And in the idols of this world, it will all come to a drastic end. But that's not the end of the story either. Because we also know That Christ has given this writing on the wall to call us to repentance today. To hear His voice and to come out of Babylon and to flee to Him. For that's not the only revelation He has given. But with His very own blood, He has given us the revelation of His saving grace and His redemption for all who come to Him. There's, yes, a great warning here. But the warning comes in a day of grace and a day where his arms are wide open to receive Babylonian-like sinners who come to him in faith and repentance, who humble themselves before him, who live for the living God. And those who have this great God have great encouragement Because then all of the corruption of this world and all of the persecution and the sinfulness and the offensiveness to God, it's over, it's fallen, it comes to a dramatic end. Because if you turn the page to Revelation 19, then you hear another loud voice saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are His judgments. His judgments are just. They're perfect. And He has judged the great harlot. And as their smoke arises up to heaven, the saints of God sing hallelujah. Praise God from whom all His judgments flow. The writing is on the wall. It's on the wall. Belshazzar might have been ignorant about the attack of the Persians, but you are not ignorant that the writing is on the wall, that the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ are coming closer and closer and His judgment is impending. Oh, would you hear His voice today? Come out of her and come to me and I, I will save you to the uttermost. Will you come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and repentance before it is too late? Or is your life one big party? that you just can't let go of. Would you come and hear His voice today as you harden your heart 
that you would come to be saved so that you would not be weighed in the balances and found wanting. Amen. Gracious God and Father in heaven, we praise you for your revelation. And Lord, we pray that as the gospel goes forth in this day, this sobering message of your judgment, that you, O oh Lord, would turn us, turn us unto yourself, that we too might find in the Lord Jesus Christ a refuge that is more secure than the walls of Babylon. A refuge that will never, never be taken away. That will never be undermined. And no attack will ever be successful on it. And so, Lord, hear our prayer and forgive us of our Babylonian-like attitudes, our Babylonian-type lifestyles, and turn us, and we shall be turned. Shine your face upon us, Lord, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.